Who am I chatting here with today? Yeah, my name's Adam Robbins. I'm the uh, co-founder and brewmaster of Rubens Brews here in Seattle. Welcome to Washington Beer Talk. This is a very exciting episode. Today we sit down with Adam Robbins of Rubens, a brewery of Ballard fame, a longtime mainstay of the area and heavy hitter, brewers of high quality beer, and not a bad weaver of stories either. This is the first part of a two-part series. The second part of this series will be available to Patreon patrons only next week. So go to patreon.com slash cyclingcicerone or cyclingcicerone slash patreon to find out more about that. Welcome to Washington Beer Talk. So you mentioned co-founder. Do you have, who are the other people involved? It's me and my wife. Her name's Grace. Where's Grace today? She couldn't be here? She's upstairs. Oh, whoa, we can't just pound on the ceiling. Doing tax returns and stuff. Oh, no. Okay. Hi, I'm Grace Robbings, and I'm upstairs working on taxes and other really fun things. Sorry you can't be down here with us, Grace. I'm sorry, too. Let's see. So tell us a little bit about Rubens. Just get us acquainted with the place. How big is it? How many barrels do you brew? How many people you have running around here? We opened in 2012. Um, we have uh, 32 people now. We have three brew houses. Uh, so we have a five barrel, a 15, and a 30 barrel brew house. Over six different buildings. Uh, so it's, we, in Ballard, you know, there's not, not a lot of really big buildings, but there's lots of little ones. And just over time, we, we've always added an extra one here, here or there because we've never been able to get one that was big enough at any point in time. So, yeah, we can we can talk about that some more. I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I think we'll we'll definitely get into that. I got to know how you managed to have six different buildings with the way that Seattle does their licensing and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. That's got to be a nightmare. Um, but for now, let's get let's get your story. So, how long have you been? So, this place opened in 2012. How long have you been brewing? So, um, yeah. So my story is uh, I grew up in uh, in in London. I'm I'm from the UK. And I came over here in 2004, initially just for 18 months or two years as on, a, on a transfer, doing nothing to do with brewing at all. It was um, uh, with T-Mobile. I was uh, in the finance team there. And then I, I liked it so much, so I extended it for, an, for another year. And then I met, met Grace, and so I extended it indefinitely. I got my green card, and then we, we got married. But as soon as I got, got here in 2004... I was like blown away by the different beers. So I, I thought I was coming to the land of macro lager, right? I, I had already been to 20 something states before I moved to, to Washington. But Washington was, was at that point like an amazing microbrewery at the time scene, right? Yeah, so it really changed my mind as to what beer could be. So I, I started training my palate, was able to like know what types of malts or hops were in each beer. But but I wasn't brewing. I, I'd done some brewing at, at university, but just the really brew-in-a-bag type, cheap, get-drunk stuff. <laughs> Same reason uh, I started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, yeah I think that's a common story. When our son Ruben was born, he and Grace, he in inverted commas, bought me a uh, homebrew kit. It was like a put-up-or-shut-up, like stop talking about all of this stuff and either do it or, or don't, but at least... At least uh, it's like put up or put up or shut up. So the problem was like within six months, I had upgraded that homebrew system twice. Like I did three extract batches, I think. And then after that was all grain and then upgraded. After six months, I had a 25 gallon 
homebrew system. So it was like kind of kind of pretty nice um, with pumps and stuff. And it was um, I was I was like brewing, doing tons of experimentation. So I would do like a big one twenty gallon batch, and then split it into four with steep grain additions in each, putting some through a hot pack, different yeast strains on each, just to try and get, just to learn, right? Um, in 2010, we poured at the Finney Neighborhood Association's uh, Winter Beer Taste. And uh, there's like 800 people there, and, and uh, they allowed two different homebrewers every every beer taste. And uh, i never forget, we went in front of the beer committee to be selected, and... Um, so, you know, there's all, all these people and, uh, and it, as it turns out, us and Populux both were at that, that beer taste. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Peter, who ended up opening Populux like a year after us, was, was, was at the same event. And anyway, we won the People's Choice there. We got like tons of people asking us for our beer. I was getting emails that next week from bars saying we, they want our beer. We're in the paper. And it was like, I literally just have a homebrew system in the garage, right? Like, I'm not a brewery, you know? So we, I, I went to UC Davis to, to learn more of the technical side, uh, did an intensive course there. And then um, in, in the end of 2011, we found a little warehouse space. And um, we thought, well, this will be fun. We can give this a go. Uh, we won't lose the house if it all goes pear-shaped. What we'll do is, like, Ruben can ride his bike around this little warehouse for, like, until the lease is done and, and if it all goes horribly wrong. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least you have a bike stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Being being a Brit, oh yeah, bike stadium. Yeah. <laughs> um, being a Brit, I was obviously thinking half empty and not op- op- optimistic. And um, being a finance guy as well, I was particularly worried about all of that. So we um, we uh, what actually happened within six months, we we're at capacity. I'm looking for another space. So um, our original space had already run out. But then it took like two years to get a bigger bigger space. This that first spot is the one over on uh, whatever street that is down there. The fourteenth, the one that we were just at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the one on fourteenth, that's the second place. Oh, there was one before that that is about the same footprint as our current keg cooler in our brewery here now. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally. So we would like move the benches out out in front uh, in front of the the uh, unit tanks when the tasting room was open. Move them out of the way when we were brewing. So we'd be open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then brew the other three days. Um, yeah, we would bottle on a Monday and I would in my car go and drive around and deliver all of these bottles. I could fit 62 cases in my car, which is like literally in the footwells. There was not in the driving footwell, but in the passenger footwell, there were like uh, bottles. The seatbelt had to be on to hold the bottles off so they didn't fly through the windscreen when you broke. But what I didn't calculate was the amount of weight that was because that busted up all of my wheel bearings. And so... After, after literally all the wheels were like jiggling, <laughs> this sounds really bad. Uh, that's when we got a truck. Yeah. <laughs> where, where was that first spot? Yeah, so it's, it was two blocks north of, of the current uh, tap room. Okay. So it was on 53rd and 14th. Okay, what is it, what is it now? So that's our five barrel system still. Oh, yeah. it's still in so, there. So, so it's not open to the public mm. b- because we've taken out those bench seats and stuff. But <laughs> the um, uh, yeah, we have... Uh, our five barrel system there last year we still brewed 600 barrels out of that site wow yeah we've taken a couple of the bigger fermenters out of that now as we've consolidated production a little bit more so we'll probably brew this year about 200 barrels but it's important it's an important brew house to give us the flexibility to do test batches Mm -hmm. 
To give people listening a little bit of context, I interviewed a brewery last week that brewed 500 barrels in our, their whole year. And that was their whole move. And that in, in your uh-huh. tiny pilot yeah. batch system is where you brew 500 barrels in a year. <laughs> so just so everyone can conceptualize that a little bit. Anyone who's been to Great Burn heard that episode. I was in Montana, so it's nobody here will have known it, but uh, I was on a road trip. Anyway. Um, okay. So that's, so now I know of three buildings the new tap room does that act, that counts as two, right? There's kind of an adjacent building that you brewed in. Is yeah, that that's that or was the, the mid the middle <laughs> tap room, not the, the yeah. So our current tap room, mm-hmm. um, that is an L shaped building, and like it it split into two. Mm-hmm. So uh, we recently got the bottom part of the L, if you, if you like, you know. Um, yeah, so that that that's like a standalone. Uh, space that's uh, clean barrel storage. Then we have another warehouse, which is our is a, a warehouse that stores our sour um, lives like barrel aged sour um, beers. Um, and then we have uh, another warehouse up um, that has like like this current brewery that we're in right now is our new production brewery that we only opened in December. This is um, like 11,000 square feet, but everything, like all the malt, uh, all of the packaging is held in another space because, because this one isn't, isn't big enough to, to hold that. <laughs> Already having problems with not it's big lo- enough. It's logis- logistics are horrendous. Like <laughs> what a nightmare. It, it's, not just, it's not just the space for tanks. It's, it's like, where do you put the case trays? And you have to buy seven pallets of those at a time to get a decent price. Where do you put... The cans, like the empty cans, well, you have to buy a semi-full. That's 24 pallets every time. So we have like a hundred and... We have, what is it, four beers, four or five, five beers right now that are in printed cans. So like the normal cans that you see. Well, that equates to around a hundred pallets of cans in inventory. Like, that's a lot of, a lot. Lot of cans. That's <laughs> a lot of space. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine that, that old, the first brew reviewer is the tiny one. Couldn't, didn't have room for one pallet of cans. No, 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 it didn't. No, no. Well, so so we would, we would bottle, and we would bottle, I don't know, just say 150 cases, and I would have until uh, the, 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 we would bottle on the Monday, I'd have until the Thursday morning to get them all out of there and delivered, because I was doing all of the sales and deliveries in my car, um, because I had to get them out on, on, on that Thursday, because the tasting room will open, and the tasting room was probably big enough to fit five pallets anyway right so so there was literally nowhere they had to be out so <laughs> so yeah so it was kind of kind of crazy one a question that just occurred to me that maybe we'll ask later when we get to the business part is that it sounds like you started off with a sort of uh, rather than going with that sort of tap room model you went with the production model where you're actually distributing beer out to stores and and stuff like that no 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 we we, we went with a tap room model mm-hmm. so um so i the normal story that you probably hear most of the time is that somebody didn't like their job, they liked brewing beer, so they decided to open a brewery, right? Uh, uh, we were slightly different in that I had a good job and um, I, I liked it, but I liked brewing beer too. And when people started asking us for our beer, we thought, well, this would be kind of fun to, to do. So we kind of got pulled into it. So um, we started small. Uh, my brother-in-law moved from Illinois to help us open, and with, with uh, Liz, his wife, who both work work for us uh, now. Um, 
But we started bottling because um, lots of the buyers from Whole Foods came into the brewery. And they literally said, like, if, if you ever, if, if you'd like to bottle, we'd love to buy the first batch of everything. And it's like, well, bottling would be kind of cool, you know. We didn't plan to have any accounts, like, in bars. But people would come in and say, hey, can you deliver beer to, the, to us? Yeah, sure. Why, why, why not? So our, our thing was, I, we didn't really have a plan. I just planned, my plan was all around making the beer the best we could. And I didn't have a business plan or anything. Like I did that for the day job, so I didn't want to do it for the hobby gone crazy so we had no the only plan i had was how how much we needed so we didn't go bust before we opened that was the only plan i had i didn't have any plan of what we were going to produce the next year you know like um so it was it was more we've been pulled into this and i think that's what makes us slightly unique because i never want to get over your ski tips and like think that oh shit i've got to sell all of this beer otherwise i can't afford the rent you know because that to me means then you will make decisions that aren't best for the beer right um, that yeah, you're right. That is a pretty unique story. Most people, most brewers I know would would love to be so have 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 accounts coming to them begging for their beer, which is great. Yeah. Do you think that was a function of being the like of it being 2012? You know, back in the day when you opened this place, like that was it doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was a different time. Maybe it is. Yeah. Um. When 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 we um opened our place on 51st. And, and uh, 53rd and 14th. When we opened that, Grace and I spent two nights thinking about this. We would be the only brewery uh, like north of Leary and, and east of 15th. So the major arterial, we were the wrong side of the major arterial, essentially in Ballard. Every, every other brewery basically in Ballard was the other side of that, of, of the major arterial. It's like, would people bother coming over to us? Right? Like we spent two, two nights literally thinking about that. And then we thought, well, like, yeah, it's going to be Ruben's cycling dome if, he, if, he, if, it, if it need be, you know, for a small amount of time. And, and, and then we, we, we would, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But then, like now, that's the core of Ballad, right? The Ballad Brewers, yeah. you know? So it's, it's, it's crazy to think, just go back six years, and that was a big decision point. Because now every brewery wants to be in that area. So, um, yeah, go, going back in... In time, what was that? Because I, I think um, there was an element of that, right? There's fewer breweries, so you'll you'll um, get noticed maybe more easily. But also, I think if if you're if you're if you have to be good to stand out, right? So what we did was only concentrate on the beer, and I didn't. The tasting room was bare bones as as hell. Um, we didn't have any plan like around distribution or anything. I was still doing my day job for the first 18 months. So the first 50 batches I brewed with my brother-in-law, Mike, I was teaching him how to brew. The first, and the first 50 batches were either the weekend or my day off. Pr- pretty, pretty intense. I think it was putting the beer first. And, you know, I, I, um, I was, you know, I'd won medal at NHC. I was one of the top home brewers in the state. So I, I, I felt... I felt like I knew uh, how to how to brew and, and and come up with recipe development in the in the right way, um, and then we had the, a following already, even though we weren't even a brewery. So it's kind of we were kind of in a, in a, a lucky lucky point in a number of ways. I think you know. Yeah. So you mentioned your son Ruben. 
obviously he's the one a brewery is named for. Yeah. That would, that makes a lot of sense. That answered a question <laughs> I was going to have to ask. So Ruben's riding around now. He's probably getting a little older. What does he think about having a brewery named after him? I think, I think he thinks it's pretty cool. I don't, I don't know. I think he'll really appreciate it when he's older. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like, actually old so. enough to drink. He goes, yeah, Let's yeah, go to yeah. my brewery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you say that. Like when he was four in his daycare, he, um, he was telling his friends, like, to, let, let's go to our, let's go to my brewery, like after, after, after school and stuff. He literally said that to some of his friends, which is kind of funny. But, it, but yeah, going back to the name, like this was another thing. Like most, most breweries, we, we were really focused on, on the beer, but most breweries would have a, a marketing plan, right? That would make sense. That's a logical thing to do when you're opening a, a business. But um, we came up with the name Rubens because you know that Finney beer taste that I was talking about? The day before they were going to print the uh, menus, um, I think that's what you call them, the beer menus, the, the, the beer list type Yeah, thing. the pamphlet or the, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They emailed us saying, what's your, beer, what's your brewery name? Because it can't be just Grace and Adam, you know. And it's like, oh, damn, we haven't, I haven't got a clue. And then we came up that night with the idea, oh, let's call it Ruben's Brews because it kind of rolls off the tongue. And it's like, and I started brewing when he was born. And, um, and then since then, it, was, it totally stuck. So... Uh, we're called Rubens because we were asked to come up with a name tomorrow <laughs> in 2010. <laughs> it's like, and, and, and if we had a thought about this, like we wouldn't have maybe made his name so hard to spell, you know. <laughs> so, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you should have really thought about, but uh, yeah. So it's kind of and also he's got a brother now, Warren. So yeah. So oh no! That, <laughs> have to open so, Warren yeah. to make him feel okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, what a funny. tragedy! Yeah, yeah. You should have called. You could, you could have called this one like Warren's Rubens Tap Room or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I suggested a beer for Warren, but um, it's unfair if one of them has a brewery and the other one just has a beer. Right? Yeah. You know, so that's yeah. Yeah, that'll be hard to explain later. <laughs> you mentioned trying to balance your like day job, opening a brewery, rapidly expanding, and now you're rapidly expanding family. What what is that like? That's got to be hard to juggle. But the, the 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 family side as well as the business side, it is it is hard. It is hard. I mean, it, it it's very hard to um, separate the two. You know, we're Grace and I are always talking about work or at home. Um, this is this is a more than a full time job. You know that um, that you you set yourself up for, and it's been a lot of years now as well. So it's um it. It's tough. You got to. I mean, I don't think there's a day that I haven't done any work probably since we opened. I mean, I don't can't think of one day at, at all. Like I, I still get the email. Like people might think of us as big. We're we're, we're kind of strong in the Seattle area, but then we're not as strong. We're, we're pretty much Seattle like focused. Even though we're available in other areas, we're starting to build some traction. People get to know us now, but um, uh, we're still we're still small in my mind. I mean. Um, I still get, I still do all the social media postings. I, um, every email that goes from the website goes straight to my phone. So like, um, I want to see what people are asking, right? You know, we, we, um, I still do all the recipe development. Um, I think it's important that you need to be, uh, integrated in, into everything on a daily basis. Cause that's, that's what, what, what this is. But we're getting to the point now where we want to be able to like let people, take time off and carve out time right and and decompress um and that's the next stage of growth really you know mm -hmm. for us 
yeah, hopefully you're through the 80 hour week hustle <laughs> and you're on the down slope a little yeah. bit to the, I had hair when I started. It's like, it's like <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it's being, it's falling out. I'm not pulling it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, you, we, we've talked a lot. I think we've got, everyone's got probably pretty nicely acclimated, acclimated to what Rubens is right now. They have a good visual of it. Got the story. Do you have anything else you want to add? I think we're ready to transition on to talking about beer. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right. Yeah. So I've noticed a couple of things about your brewery. This is, so I haven't spent very much time in what I guess you call, what do you call this? The brew room or the The brew brew tap? Brew tap. Yeah. Um, haven't spent too much time here. Been here once. Spent most of my time over in the tap room, which you're now calling it, I guess, Rubens the, dash the tap room. Yeah, yeah. I had to look it up on Google to see what you had decided to name it. When I was trying to figure out where to meet you, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. let's see. He said tasting room. Shoot, that oh, could be I? either. I, well, tasting room is <laughs> yeah, neither yeah, the tap yeah, room nor yeah. the brew tap. So yeah. I, I had thought you'd said tap room. So I went there and then anyway, whatever. Uh-huh. So that was a silly part. Sorry about that, by the way. No, no, no. My fault. I am. Um, I normally write the address, so there's no. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my fault if I didn't. That's, That's okay. We got our steps in today, going we, back we, and we forth did, between. Um, so in in the tap room, you have just a ton of medals on the wall. You've got the largest menu of all the breweries in Ballard for sure, and probably pretty much more larger menu than most breweries in Seattle or Washington. Really, the ones that I've been to usually max out at. 12 or 13 your wall has at times had up to 30 different beers or something crazy like that i suppose you know um obviously your beers are award-winning or else there wouldn't be so many awards on the wall let's let's get you going just start talking about the styles you chose why you brew what you brew maybe some differences between uk and here and you know those kind of things just interested to hear your your take on all this yeah yeah so um um Breadth is a is a big strength for us. Um, we we brewed 140 different beers last year, and and we're about 70 or 80 so far this year. Um, having three different brew houses enables us to do that, and that's not even enough in my mind. So we're looking at getting a couple of smaller fermenters so the smaller system can do some smaller batches. Um, but uh, yeah, we we believe in in, in strength and diversity of the, of, of, of the lineup. So. What I so people always ask like what what what's your favorite beer or what do you what styles do you like Well, I normally say I like the thing that's um, the the newest because I like I like trying different things and I like um, I don't necessarily just have the same thing all the time um, and also they're like it's like saying which is your favorite child right so, so it's kind of you you're, you're put in a bit of a, of a dead end corner when somebody asks you that but um, but yeah so. Uh, in terms of the, the, the variety, what I want to do is when somebody comes into the tap room, we have 25 taps um, and we sometimes increase that with, with jockey boxes at certain events. Um, so we had, I think, 30 different hazy IPAs on our Haze Fest, um, which is kind of crazy. Right? Pure insanity. <laughs> That's insane. But um, uh, what, I want to, what, what we generally aim for is that if somebody comes in, we want something that's light, dark, multi, hoppy, sour. So like those are like the style areas that we want to be able to show because I believe we're a stronger brewer if we can, we can do good representations of all those styles. Um, one of those things that we need there is a number of different yeast strains, right? So uh, if I just step back, why did we even 
get into this? Well, Grace and I started going to lots of breweries back before we opened, before the kids were born. And we'd see this recurring theme that uh, you would get a tasting tray and all the beers would look different colors, but they'd all kind of taste the same. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, the, the, maybe there's just a one different hop in all of them or maybe there's just like one different malt. But um, what, what I did... As a home brew. I always call those the hair color beers. Oh, yeah. You have one blonde, one brown, yeah. one yeah. red, yeah. one yeah. black. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's true. But like they all were very similar. And and um, one of the reasons for that is uh, house yeast. So uh, a production brewery is like um, based on producing, right, obviously. But you will generally have like one house yeast strain throughout most beers. You would have one base malt throughout most beers uh, and generally then the only difference is a little bit of specialty malt and uh, maybe some hop differences so like that's why you're going to get this house character in inverted commas right um, well for us we we talk about brewing from the glass backwards so if I want to do an Irish red I don't care what our house yeast strain is what yeast do I need for that Irish red if we want to do uh, I don't know a uh, a Brett Saison. What what Brett strain should we use? If depending on what we're gonna if we're gonna fruit it or not, or what what yeast character do we want? So we um, aim start at the beer and then and then work ourselves backwards to what the recipe needs to be, unconstrained by what our production environment says. So that's one of the reasons why we need three different breweries so we can do that. Um, we uh, have a. a a, a silo here now but we didn't used to have a silo we got a silo in in december when in the new production brewery but we still get uh uh containers of malt from uh, british columbia and, and germany and we use british base malt in british beers depending on the style that we want so uh we're never gonna make i think it's a slippery slope where you start um maybe uh, oh i don't think this malt makes any any real difference so let's take that one out it'll make it a lot easier for people right like where does that stop that path and i think that's why we have to uh, guard against even thinking like that so uh in our team that anybody can come to me with a recipe idea and i had one recipe idea um that i asked like why are you using this this malt in this it didn't seem to make sense to me and then I was told, well, that's, I, they know that they have that in, in-house. And I said, well, no, I don't want to even look at this then because like, you're constraining yourself by what we have. Um, this this on, the, on the wall, we've got a picture of our porter with the different grains that make it up. So we've got eight different malts that make up our, our porter. And that's kind of like the, the best example there. Like we have a, a lighter caramel and a darker caramel. Well, one gives like a sweetness, one gives more toffee. We could blend that and use the medium, but I think that's going to lose some depth of complexity, right? We use two different base malts in that. Um, we cut base malt quite a lot. So like a, a really bready German Pilsner malt, we might cut with a US Pilsner just because it might be too intense coming through. Um, so similar thing with um, our, our, our um, porter. We, we cut with a... a Canadian ESB malt, the rich uh, Marisota of, from the UK. It's kind of like like cooking, right? You know, like um, you season things. Well, our seasoning here is water treatment, right? So, like, even 
we have different water treatments for every beer. Like, so you just have, it's, it's an art that you don't want to be constrained with by production realities. Right? That's kind of where, where we take it. That makes sense. <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. I'm noticing a just a, an interesting trend in, in chatting with you is that you you have this a, a very very beer first you know business model, right? It's just I I only care about this beer, and you at some point manage to where everyone maybe where everyone else loses track. They once they get involved with the business stuff, they have to start cutting back on how much attention they focus on their brewing. Not many brewers that I know, not many breweries that I know, their founders are still their brewers. And they really, they lose track of of focusing on the quality of the beer. And like you said, the slippery slope. And eventually, next thing you know, you're down to your house baseball and your house yeast. And it's funny that the beginning of your story reflects that as well, right? They, hey, we just brew good beer. People come to us rather than having to go out and find accounts and stuff like that, which is, uh, you know, if we're if I'm on the hunt for the secret sauce on how to make a brewery run properly, it it's almost sad that the real answer is nope. Just focus on the beer. Like, make sure your beer is perfect because that's like, well, okay, that's hard. <laughs> yeah. No. And then the only thing I think I have, like the only skill. I have if it's a skill is um well grace grace says i i grew up on boiled vegetables so like i when i came here i thought i love curries and i like spicy food but like damn the curries in the uk are like not spicy at all like and grace is half korean so like kimchi destroys me like i can't taste anything for days after i have kimchi or whatever. but um so like a little element i i my palate is pretty sensitive so i and my nose is sensitive so like i can I can um, use that to, as an iterative process. So I have an idea for a recipe. I put that down on paper. We brew it, and then I can then taste that and then think about where I wanted it to change and then iterate that back into the recipe. That's probably that's probably the only thing I, I have, right? So we now have a lab with a, a guy running the lab, and he's far more scientifically advanced than I ever will be, right? But now we don't rely on people's noses to do VDK testing. We get an actual measurement of VDK, right? We still do the 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 um, the sensory test just to make sure that there's nothing that, that slipped through. But, um, you know, as we grow, there are people that are, are more able to do certain things, you know? So you have to be also comfortable as the founder to be able to let go of some things, you know, as well, so... At a certain point, you got to stop doing his social media posts. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about your yeast lab. That's something that not a lot of not, that no small breweries have, um, and it sounds new and fun. What's yeah. uh, going on back there? Yeah. So in our uh, so we um, so when um, early on, I had, had I got a microscope, and uh, we, we were really early on. At, you know, I was doing uh, yeast uh, pitch testing and. Um, but we had no, it was at the original brewery and we had no office even. So I was doing it on our dining room table. I would take the samples home and <laughs> do that, calculate the yeast pitches. Um, so we progressed from there. So we have a, a lab a lab now and um, we have a spectrophotometer so we can do uh, VDK, so that's diastole testing. Um, so we have thresholds for certain beers that we don't allow things to get over and we test during fermentation to see when it when it drops. Uh, that we, we, When I didn't have a lab, I sent everything out to a third-party lab. So I have lab results going back five 
six years now. So every beer we can see the microbiological stability, uh, you know, SRM, IBU. Those, those for me are important because that helps my iterative process, right? If I'm estimating that a beer is going to be 6, 6% ABV and 40 IBUs, we brew it, what does it come through as? You know, so then I can then see, okay, what does it actually come through as compared to what I thought? And then are there process issues or recipe design issues in, in that? So we're starting to bring that, that more in-house. So the only thing we haven't got right now is microbiological stability. Um, so we're still sending that to a third-party lab. But everything else we're, we're, we're bringing in, in-house now. So it's kind of just a nice element of growing up and being more specific, right? You know, DO, we've had a DO meter since we started canning. So anybody who cans has got to be able to test dissolved oxygen. You can't do it blindly. Um, has been a massive improvement. We've been working on our, our canning line and we've, uh, Chris, who runs packaging for us, is really dialed into that. And we've been making great, great progress on, our, on lowering our DO, which improves shelf stability, etc. What are some of the now, you know, pl- plenty, uh, several breweries I've mentioned, you know, that are dissolved oxygen. That's always the bigger guys, you know, to you and Sumerian and other people who all have their own canning lines now. Um, what are some of the things you can do? And Because a home brewer could benefit from this as well. What are the, some of the things you do to reduce your dissolved oxygen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm just trying to think for a home brewer. So like if you're packaging, you're packaging your beer in bottles, right? You're probably using a a Blickman beer gun or something. It's kind of interesting because like if you purge too hard, you actually, the CO2 pushes out of the bottle and then gets replaced with oxygen. So you, you, you're, you're thinking you're purging really well, but if you're doing it at too high a velocity, you could actually be sucking oxygen in sort of thing. It's about fob actually. So the foam as you're packaging. So in a can, you need like a, a mushroom head on the can of, of, of tight foam that pushes all the air out and then you put a lid on the top and that squeezes everything out. It's the same when you're bottling. Actually, you actually want a nice, a nice foam. You want to be capping on foam, ideally. But then you need to think about how much CO2 is coming out of suspension when you're doing that. So you want to maybe carbonate a little higher, 0.1 volumes or something, not, not a ton, but just something to take into account if you're trying to dial in, dial in your, your spot. But yeah, there's lots of levers, you know, like where, where you're going to pick up CO2 See, uh, oxygen from in the process like when you're dry hopping if I was homebrewing again I probably wouldn't dry hop in a carboy I'd probably be dry hopping in a keg you know because um, then I can purge it a lot easier you know as soon as as soon as that primary fermentation is done let's keep it dark and 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 uh, purged <laughs> I, I don't know yeah my, my first thought right now is yeah you do need more people here <laughs> you, you sort of mentioned it a little earlier when you were talking about the size of the brewery, but how many people do you have who aren't maybe, who are on the process side like that? You mentioned probably 30, you mentioned 32 people. Are, they're, I imagine, yeah, mostly yeah. taproom employees yeah, and stuff. Mostly taproom. Uh, so about half a taproom. I don't have the exact numbers um, in top of my head. Um, our packaging line is uh, five people. So we have um, um, a lead and then we have two um pairs of people that will work different shifts um the brewers um so as you grow what's kind of interesting as you grow um like the brew house gets bigger right and you can do more turns in a in a small amount of time so packaging ends up being the bottleneck and it's kind of something that i didn't really think about packaging becomes a department at some at some point because even the last the tap room that you're at there um the brewers would package there like when you get bigger then you need a 
you know, the bottleneck is getting the beer out of the tank. It's not necessarily putting the beer in the tank. So yeah, so you have about five people in packaging. We have those people would also work cellar, and then maybe four brewers, four or five brewers uh, here, and then we have one um, brewer who is more of the experimental stuff. So runs the smaller brew houses, the sour sour projects as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things I was wondering were since you do now have the, the the canning line and everything, how have you chosen what beers you want to put in cans? So you've got the Crikey IPA, I know, um, and probably a couple of the flagships that made the cut. What are some of the considerations you had to make deciding those beers? And you know, or now are you worried about changing your recipes at all? You, I imagine you have those fairly dialed in. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a couple of couple of points there. Yeah. So how do how do we decide? what beers to put in cans well that's part of the beauty of having the tasting room right so with 25 beers on tap you can see what beers people like pretty pretty uh easily we have we have a um seasonal beers as well in cans so uh like summer ipa is obviously just in the summer (laughs) um but that is is three different seasons uh throughout the year um and then it's like it is kind of kind of hard because, like, I was in Portland recently um, selling our beer, going to different accounts and stuff, and in in the supermarket maybe we have like we have like right now we have Crikey, Hazelicious, Pilsner, Summer IPA, and Goza. Those are the, the ones, but then we have twenty four different beers on in the tasting room. So it's like how, how do you how do you show the breadth of the beers that you do within this constraint of this retail channel it's kind of hard so we're we're starting to um like every month we do a, a different beer in in uh, distribution volumes so people can can experience it more whether it's in cans or bottles or draft right so we have a a seasonal sour rotator as well so it's goza right now but it's been tart cherry vice it's been our holiday goza in answer to that question it's it's um you know the, the, there's a there's a pull on things, right? Like if you put, like Hazelicious is is doing really well, and Crikey is our biggest selling beer throughout the year. So people obviously like that. So we obviously kind of got lucky <laughs> picking that. But it's like, well, Pilsner. I thought, well, it'd be nice to have a Pilsner, selfishly, <laughs> as well as anything else. So let let's do that. And then it also shows some of the breadth of what we can do. So like we have our Porter in 22. So I don't know what what the next can would be in that that lineup but it is probably more likely we're more likely to show our breadth through through one-off type releases going back to your question about having the recipes like dialed in it's a journey that you're on and you never get to the end of that journey right so and and we're playing with an agricultural product so every year the hops that we select may be different to the prior year the malt changes in various protein levels and other things um so we we talk about glacial changes right so um people's palates change over time so you've seen a move away from the big sticky incredibly bitter ipas and that wasn't that long ago that they were everywhere like when we opened that's what everywhere was and now you don't see very many of those at all. Let's just say last time I had a double IPA might have been 2016. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. But even like your, your, your just as American IPAs used to be a lot more bitter and sticky than they are now. Like beers that people's palates are drying out. 
softening the bitterness, getting more aromatic. So we talk about glacial changes, like over time, we'll, nothing is sacred, right? And we're never, we're, this, no recipe has ever been, been set, um, will ever be set, because it can't be. It's, the stuff is growing out of the ground, right? It's going to be different every year. There's a terroir. There's, so none of our recipes are set, but we're always going to change like glacially, either in line with people's palates changing or with the hop profiles changing. Like, for example, when we got our new new selection of, of hops for this last year's harvest, so they came out the end of last year, um, we felt that some of the sort of fruitiness of... Our mosaic had gone a, uh, a little danker. Our citra had gone maybe a little lighter. In something like Crikey, our view of what that beer is uh, needed a slight change of the dry hop to keep it as it should taste because of the, the hop differences. And we'll always be doing, doing those kinds of things. So Crikey should taste like Crikey today and then two years' time. But people's palates might change. So it's all a relative thing, right? Mm-hmm. And also the agricultural process. So the hop um, selections will change. So right. we need to take that into account as well. One of the things I've always been curious about, you're, you're, not, you know, you're not the first brewer who has to tweak hop contents in order to get these flavors to stay the same year over year with changing fl- hop flavors. But what does that process look like? You've got, an, you've got a very iterative process that eventually arrived at the, at the yes. recipe you have. Yes. So changing it, you don't. You have kind of had to change it on the fly. You know, the next recipe has to be close. You don't. You can't afford to mm-hmm. dial in with your new flavored hops because by the time you got it figured out, hops are different. It's next year. So with our Crush series, we we do a hazy IPA series for people who who don't know that um, we do maybe one one batch a month, but it's always a different hop profile. So. Uh, from that, that has been a lot of fun in terms of trying different hop varieties and blends. What we found out very early in doing in in that in particular uh, that rubbing hops is irrelevant. Like they, it doesn't fall fall through like that. So what we do is uh, we do little like half gallon dry hop trials, and then we taste on a base beer that hasn't been dry hopped. So we could use Crikey as an example. So we would then do a dry hop of, say, a certain pounds per barrel equivalent of maybe six, seven different different beers. There's four of us that would then sit down and try them all by themselves and then try the blend as it currently is. Because I can, if it's, if it's a third, 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 I can do a third, third, third in a glass of the different single dry hops, right? So then I can get a good view of, okay, this is what it is currently. This is let's say drop one to 20% and put in 13% or something else, you know, so we can, that's how we do it. And it works out really well, actually, because we then aren't really blind or just expecting the rubbing of the hop to fall, fall, fall through. Um, sure. There's some in, in, inaccuracy in it, but it is for us, it's worked out really well. So that's kind of how we do it. So like if it's a new crush beer, there might be five different hops I want to play with. So let's do these single hop versions and then let's, get together and see maybe I'm thinking 80 20 will be the thing that works let's try that well maybe it's not maybe it's 60 40 maybe 60 20 20 on something else you know yeah <laughs> you're so you're, you're funny you're kind of modest about it you're like oh well this is our process it works for us it's not really that much I'm like 
It's a, lot, it's a lot more process than a lot of brewers are, going to, are willing to go through <laughs> trying to get their beers to be perfect. So well, brew- there's, <laughs> there's, there's nothing worse. Well, when it, there's nothing worse than thinking something will work and it doesn't. Right? Yeah. So anything you can do to make sure. Yeah. You, 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 you know, because you know we, um, you know we we don't let things get through QA if it's not going to pass the test. Yeah. So the last the last thing again talking about agricultural pro- products, right? So um, our first batch of tart cherry vice for this last year, uh, last season, we put in the same amount of tart cherries as the prior year, but the tart cherry character was so much more restrained than the prior year. And I spoke to uh, Gordon at Funkworks. Um, I can't remember even why I asked him because I know I know he plays with tart cherries quite a lot. He said that he had seen that that year's crop of tart cherries were a lot less intense than prior years. So we actually increased our amount of tart cherries. We dumped that batch. That was 60 barrels. That oh, of, no. Of, yeah, it's a lot of beer. And then we, we, I think, almost doubled the amount of tart cherry in because it's like, let's lean into it, right? Because it's, yeah. So you know, that's just an example of... of it really hurts if you don't do your homework. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, imagine, imagine dumping 60 barrels of beer just because it wasn't as tart as it should have been. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was I'm great. Sure, sure it was perfectly good beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's dedication. That's impressive. Yeah. Before we move on to some more business focused questions, which yeah. we've got, a, we've done a good job of sprinkling business related <laughs> things into this entire conversation. There was one thing I remembered that I tried, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but I was at Rainier Fest, Rainier Beer Fest, oh. and y'all did a collab. Yeah, you yeah, did yeah. a collaboration with Rainier and I had never, ever seen any you know, small craft brewery do a collab with a mega, mega brew. And I drank the piss out of that Rubens collab. It was so good. It was good, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what, you know, who, where that idea came yeah, from and yeah. the process and tell that story? Our logo is a lowercase cursive R, right? And Rainier is the uppercase cursive R. The, the guy who runs Rainier used to live, I think he might still live there, but um, two blocks away from our tap room. And so he used to come in all the time. So I would like, sit and chat with him all the time and it was like we're spitballing well wouldn't it be funny if we did like a collaboration that the uppercase and the lowercase r's right of, of washington and so it started off more as a joke but then literally just because we we knew him so i, I obviously rain rainier is iconic and as you know, as a brand is like 120 years old or something um but for me it was because i knew i knew uh, the guy who runs it, right? and, which is kind of crazy. So then we came up with this idea and it was the first collaboration I think Rainier has ever done in its whole history. So that was on, to some extent, on the bleeding edge. Yeah. You know, and, um, because they had no process, their side of doing it. And they, they had um, an experimental brewer in Milwaukee that we worked with quite a lot. But um, just, just um, we got to a great solution but they're a big company, and so like we use Galaxy in that, and Azaka, I think, in in and uh, I can't remember the other Kashmir in the dry hop, and and Galaxy is in it is expensive, and so like we got pushback, like oh why are you using Galaxy? Why can't you use something else? It's like, well we're using Galaxy and. <laughs> You know, that's that's kind of that's kind of it. Um, so yeah, so it was it was interesting to see. And then since then, they've done a couple of other collaborations. I think they did one with Aslan um, 
uh, recently. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it, it was f- it was fun, but it was particularly nice to be. And then we brewed it actually on the old Red Hook Brewery. Oh, so you know that. So we went up there, and um, the one over in Woodenville. Yeah, yeah, and then brewed it on their system there, and so that was really interesting because they have the ability to do very. So being being a Brit, one of the few things we do is a single infusion mashes, right? Because I gotta I gotta have some sort of links back to the homeland, you know. I don't sound totally like like I'm from there anymore. I use funny words, but so I sound foreign when I'm when I'm there, like with my family and stuff, and I'm foreign here, so I'm like no man's land. But um, oh, no. so at least we're doing something, right? But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so yeah, it was interesting seeing their step profile from um, that that was that was cool, you know. They're owned by Pabst so they're they're big but they're not like evil in, yeah in, evil beer right like we obviously we wouldn't do anything like that if it was owned by any of the two big big guys but um yeah so it was, it was an interesting experience to see how they operated um and it sort of made me um even more focused on putting the beer first because I started to see these there's inertia where where you get too big and it's not mm. <laughs> necessarily I kind of want to stay on this topic, but we yeah. can shift over to the sort of other, yeah, other businessy side of that. Yeah. And you also started touching on, you know, sort of Budweiser versus PBR and the, you know, which one's evil and which one's fine. Um, so let's go ahead and switch over to talking about business and the industry, but we'll stay on the sort of collab topic. Kind of yeah, that yeah, thread. sure, sure. So back on that thread. Thank you very much, Adam, for taking the time to chat with me today. Ruben's Brews out in Ballard. The biggest brewery district in Seattle. Definitely go give them a shot. If you want to hear the rest of this episode, that is part two and the continuation of the Rubens and Rainier collab story, you'll have to wait till next week and be a Patreon patron. Go to cyclingcicerone.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash cyclingcicerone to become a patron. Get access to extended interviews, multi-part episodes, swag, and other perks, as well as supporting the podcast. Thank you for listening. Hey, are you a brewery that wants to be on a podcast? Shoot me an email, andrew at cyclingcicerone.com.